So let's say that you're a qualified electrician and you get this great opportunity of where you can earn some good money, but it's lodging out and you're gonna be away from home for a few weeks. Do you say, uh, nah, no thanks, I'd rather be at home with the family? Or do you pack your bags, jump in the van and get on the road? To this day, there is plenty of work for electricians lodging out. There always has been. But it's whether you're prepared to lodge out or not, that's the thing. And there's a number of perks to lodging out. But there's also a number of downfalls as well. So in this podcast, that's exactly what we're going to dive into. Toolbox Talks for Electricians. Helping electricians reduce stress, gain back time and earn more money. Hello and welcome back once again to the Toolbox Talks for Electricians podcast. My name is Ben Poulter, just in case you didn't know. And some of you guys, you may be in the van, six o'clock on a Monday morning, on the way to site, to start your week of lodging out. Now are you thinking, yeah, I'm excited, get a good week done so I can get cracked on, get this job sorted. Or you're thinking, oh man, sometimes I'd just rather be at home. I've had enough of lodging out. Well, in my experience of lodging out, it was from the beginning of my apprenticeship. I was lodging out in from the beginning, basically. And when I first got the job, it was electrician's mate to start with. I was 19 year old and put up in a hotel in Manchester with my dinner paid for. And they even paid for a couple of pints as well. It's like a dream come true for me. I was getting fed and I got my drinks paid for. Because the alternative was to be staying at home where me, my dad and my brother all lived together and none of us could be bothered to cook a decent meal at night. We'd always just go out to the pub or something. So to stay in a hotel and get a proper meal every night was kind of exciting to me. I thought it was fantastic. I was really excited to do it. Also, obviously, that's why I stayed doing the um, electrical apprenticeship because I was excited to do it. I was lodging out. I was in different places all over the, all over the country. And that's what I did for most of my apprenticeship. It was just constantly lodging out. I was never at home. And yeah, it was fun. It was exciting. But these days, at the ripe old age of 42, if I'm offered work where I lodge out, I'm not really interested. I wouldn't really go for it unless I could basically take my dog and it was really good money, which this did happen once. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. When you're lodging out and working on a site, it's normally a big site that you get a crack on with. Like I was doing it as a subby electrician a lot of the time and I was lodging out and it's not really hard graft when you're working on site. I didn't think, in my opinion anyway, which is a good thing because what else are you going to do in the evenings? If you go out for your meal, you've got to go out to a pub because they're not going to put you up in a house where you get fed. That's a bit posh. They give you about £20 a night to have some dinner and a few beers. So you have a few beers them two, they turn into three. Uh, once you've gone past three, you can't drive anywhere. You might as well get on it. And that's what happened most nights when, when I was lodging out as an electrician. But because I was the apprentice or the I was the electrician's mate to start with, I was never in the same place. I never was stood on a site for maybe more than two weeks. Sometimes I was always called up to go somewhere else. or maybe in Manchester, maybe in Southampton, down in Brighton, a place called Bude. I remember that's one of the first jobs. It was boring. There was nothing there down in Cornwall. It was a lovely place. I'd love to go back there now at an older age. But back in the day, there was nothing there. So all we did was sit in the pub at night. But I look back now and think, yeah, I was quite lucky because the company that I worked for, they didn't just have like contracts in the UK. 
they started having contracts all over the world. So then I started going to Luxembourg, going to Italy and Amsterdam, all over Europe. And this advanced as well. And that was even more exciting with traveling. I never really got on much of a plane. I was 19 and the furthest I'd been was Germany. And that was going to see family. And another bonus is the contracts that we were doing all over Europe was discharging batteries. So it was maintenance work for a telecoms, telecoms communication company. So we're basically discharging batteries in an air, con- air conditioned room in the evenings, just taking readings. If some of the guys that I sat with, if I say to them 2.2, 2.2, 2.2, 2.2, we got excited when we got like a 2.1. It was something different, something different to say. We were testing these cells in the batteries while it's discharging them with a load frame. But as you can imagine, yeah, that was quite easy. And the job started sort of at 10 o'clock at night because we had to discharge them on out of, our, out of hours time. But we were there till about 2 a.m. And that was usually a long night if we were there to sort of 2 a.m. So the days that we had were to do with sightseeing. It's all we did. We sort of wandered around the town or had a little look. Obviously had a lane because we were up late. Got a nice breakfast, ate some nice food. We couldn't go out drinking because we had to work at night. So we had to keep occupied with doing different things every day. Going out and sightseeing, going to museums, going to the zoo. We did some random stuff sometimes just to keep ourselves busy. And I think, I think back now, thinking, yeah, we must have done a good job because then that company got different contracts in Australia, in Japan, in Guatemala, in Hong Kong. And we were sent there to, just, to discharge their batteries as well. But I do think my electrical apprenticeship was quite unique and different from a lot of others because I was getting paid to travel the world to do easy work and basically visit all these different countries and do some sightseeing. So it was, um, I feel like I was quite lucky to have that position at that time. And the thing is though, these opportunities, they're still about for people that want to go and work in all these different countries. Because I get offered them all the time from the guys that I met, like all from all around the world within the DC power industry. They go to work in maybe India or Dubai or sometimes in Miami. And the money's pretty good, they get offered too. But as I'm qualified now, and I'll be sort of the person in charge, so I would have to stay at that site for maybe, what, three weeks minimum, or three weeks back on and off. So it's not really for me anymore, because obviously I can't take my dog either. I can't get him over to India, and he wants to sit with me. I'm a bit more of a family life in Torientated, or however you say it. But yeah, I'd rather be at home now, rather than travel the world doing this work. And I think the experience that you gain from working all over the world as well. Because I do remember when I was in Ireland, Ireland have always had brown and blue cable, like brown for live and blue for neutral. And it was a bit random when I was there saying, thinking, why do they use different colours? Why have we got to install different colours in Ireland? It's because they harmonised with Europe long before us. And then we didn't just do 240 supply either. We were doing 54 volts DC, which they also changed the colors as well. Well, that's confused a lot of people. But yeah, we used to do 54 volts DC as well all over the world. And it wasn't just the electrical side of work that um, I think was a massive advantage. It was meeting these different people with a a language barrier sometimes, because a lot of the guys over in all the different countries, they couldn't speak English because, well, Obviously, there was their native language. You had to learn a little bit of their language to be able to communicate. 
we didn't have phones at the time, so we couldn't do Google Translate or anything like that. We had to try and learn their language and maybe interpret it to get the job done. Because there was a lot of the, like in Japan, there was a lot of guys on site that used to give us a hand. We used to say, right, we need to drill this here. We need to get all the kit in this area. And it was hard explaining to them because they wanted to work, but they just didn't know what we wanted them to do. So it was trying to work around that. And I think back now, that was quite fun doing it. And thinking back to that install in Japan, it was in Tokyo, so it's a busy old place. And we were at that job for around 13 weeks. That was one place where I did stay for a long time doing a big install. And being a load of blokes that lodged in a hotel with no facilities to make sort of a pack up to go into work. Well, I don't know what it would take really, I suppose rice and noodles, anything like that. It would have been good, it would have been a bonus. But we didn't get to eat fantastic this is the thing lodging out you got to go out all the time for dinner you can't just have a pack of crisps you haven't got a fridge to have like a decent bit of juice in the morning that was always something that i always missed to be able to get up and have a little snack at night or maybe just something to eat so you don't get that when you're lodging out you're sort of in a hotel you've got your hotel room you've got to have a bag somewhere packed with a few crisps in it maybe pack of pringles that's obviously you always got to munch on and yeah, it was difficult sometimes. I think about now, yeah, I wouldn't like to do that again. But for the first few weeks, we were in Japan. All we had was McDonald's. McDonald's for lunch. McDonald's for, well, for snacks all the time. Because when you're working away, and I was a 19-year-old lad, I had a good appetite. I ate McDonald's all day, every day. It was a nightmare. I don't know why. And then we'd get an ice cream because it was red hot out there as well. Well, it wasn't hot. It was humid. So we were eating crap, basically. I think for kids, yeah, McDonald's, yeah, they love it sort of thing. But for me, once in a blue moon, I have a McDonald's when I'm desperately hungry and I need a bite to eat because it doesn't really fill you up, does it, having a McDonald's? But not every day. You sort of don't want to, to, to eat McDonald's every day. You want to eat something different. So on site, there was a clerk of works. Every site we went to, there was a clerk of works and he helped us sort of translate with the local trades. And this guy was an American. I think his name was Eric. I can't really remember now because I, I didn't keep in contact with that guy. But he lived in Tokyo and he could speak the lingo and he worked on site with us installing the equipment. And obviously you become friends and you have to get on with them because, well, you're working together in a way. So and like I say, he was our, our translator with the local hired help or the local labourers that were on there. The labourers were good. I tell you, the labourers were quite good at the job and I think if they could understand a bit more English they could have job, done the job for us these Japanese guys they, they when they work they work they're up at 6 in the morning and I think they don't leave till around 6 they do a good 12 hour shifts they're hard working people to be honest with you they're a lot more hard working than me and that's probably why the Chinese economy is, uh, the Japanese sorry economy is thriving so much because they do work hard and they're pretty clever in my experience with the Japanese guys, if they want to know something, they won't just ask you one question. They want to dive deep. They'll, they'll take the manual home and read the whole manual. Like They want to know exactly how everything works. And that was a bonus to us because they were helping us do the job. But like I say, I was fed up with McDonald's. It was playing on me sort of thing, having McDonald's all the time. So I asked the clerk of works, I said, where do you go for lunch? Because he, he didn't go McDonald's all the time. We didn't see him down the road queuing up for a Big Mac meal. He went somewhere else. So I asked to go with him. And he said, yep, no worries, you can come with me. So he took me down this little alleyway and 
It was a bit of a shabby old town. You didn't think much of it. And we got led into this room. It was, I think it was down in the basement, I always remember. We went down in the shabby enough hang about. This is a bit dodge. But once you got in there, there was a lovely room with all these guys in suits that were sitting on the floor because I had to take my shoes off as well before I go in. Always remember that because I would think my feet will stink if I sit in here because I've been sweating all day. But no, it weren't too bad, to be honest. I got away with it. I think all the guys in there had smelly feet because a lot of people stunk a B.O. over in um, Japan because it was humid and you sweat all the time. I just re I do remember that. I sweat a lot. It doesn't matter how much deodorant and that you put on, you stink a little bit of B.O. through the day. So like I say, we got led down into this room with all these tables with guys sitting there, sat down cross-legged at the table. And me as a 20-year-old lad thought, mm, I might have messed up here. I should have just gone McDonald's. What am I going to get fed? And after sitting down, the first thing that was put in front of me was a bowl of rice. It was boiled rice. <sighs> man I wish I had something with taste it was a bit of a, a nightmare at the beginning my initial thoughts so I sat there and they don't do spoons or forks in this restaurant either it was an old school sort of Japanese place you get chopsticks so I picked my chopsticks up and I dug straight in and I didn't want to be rude obviously so I obviously ate the lot it was a, a bowl of rice pretty pretty tasteless but I was starving so I dug in but five minutes later there was some more bowls that come out and it wasn't just rice it was chicken it was noodles and whatever else came out of the table and i think that day i ate like a king there was so much different selections you know like you get a chinese in the uk i think if you get a japanese takeaway somewhere i've never really seen them they're always called a chinese but it's similar to that you had all different sorts of tastes and you had everything there it was a massive meal and it was beautiful it was so much better than mcdonald's and to be honest with you, I'm not even sure whether it was dog or cat or anything else that I ate. Because I didn't ask what the meat was. I maybe just said, excuse me, what is this? But if it looked like chicken, I gave it a go. Because no one really spoke English where we were. It was sort of in the back alleys and stuff. And it was for Japanese people or Japanese speaking people at least. Because, yeah, I didn't know what I was eating, but oh, it tasted good. And then once I got familiar with the lady that ran the place, uh, I used to sit there. You have a cup of tea at the end of it. When you go on it, I'll take a cup of tea. It was basically warm water with a bit, bit of whatever in. I drank it. I had to be polite because I tried to learn a little bit of Japanese to be able to say thank you to her, just to be polite. Because I think when any country you go to, you learn a little bit of their lingo, then it shows you're not an arrogant git. So I learned arigato somos. And she was trying to teach me, don't touch your moustache. I think that's how she's saying it. And it's arigato, arigato somos tonto de mustache. And that was meant to be, thank you very much. I enjoyed your company. I assume it was something like that. It was so difficult to translate. If someone's listening to this as Japanese, you're going to tell me I'm wrong. But arigato somos tonto de mustache. That was what I said to her every day after dinner. And she smiled at me. So I'm assuming that it was polite, at least. And I think meeting all these people all over the world is what probably made me a bit of a chatterbox that I am today. Because my most favourite place in the entire world is Australia. It's huge, they speak English, and they love a barbecue. And I do love my food. The days that we had spare over in Australia, yeah, they were fun. Because we could speak the lingo, we could arrange different things. So we went horse riding one day. 
I haven't got a clue why. I don't even like horses. They freaking scare me. But I went horse riding one day and we went skydiving and then we spent days, like all the time, in these little pool, ball, pool bars in King's Cross. We used to sit and play pool for hours in Sydney. That was what we did all day. And I just liked the people I liked over in Australia. Of course, we did do work too, but it was the same as everywhere we went. We had the day spare and we just worked on the evenings. So lodging out as a youngster, as a young lad, it sort of opened my mind up to the world, I think, because you don't know what's out there when you're, you're a youngster and you maybe only been to sort of Germany as far as that. But being able to travel all over the world was something that I think made me a better person like meeting these different people and lodging out and getting myself away from the little town that I grew up in of my own little group of friends that we went out and got partied and got drunk all the time but doing different things it was a massive advantage I think for me in my life of lodging out and I think electricians or apprentices they can do that as well they can lodge out I think these jobs are still available all over the world so young lads can lodge out and learn different experiences it'll make you It'll make you appreciate things a lot more of, of different things in the world. I'm not saying you have to go out and lodge out and party hard and drink a shed load like we used to, or well, I used to. A lot of us, all of us did used to actually. We always, That's all we did at night is drink. And these days, if I go out or have three pints, I'm drunk. So yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Them days for me are gone. The only one place I've lodged out in, what, the past five years, possibly, for work, would be someone had a barn conversion going on in Wales. It was in the middle of nowhere. I didn't want to travel back and forth to Wales doing this barn conversion. So I lodged out. They had a caravan there. So me and the dog, we stayed in this caravan and we wired the house up. We were there for maybe weeks, one week, getting the first fix done and then come back a few weeks later and do second fix and carry on. Things were changing all the time. You got, got some rooms done at a time. It was how we was doing it. So we'd go up there and we'd stay in this caravan. And that was perfect for me. That's sort of my lodging days now. We stay in a caravan and we'll have a little bit of a barbecue in the evenings. That's my style of lodging out these days. But I would never say never lodge out because these opportunities, they do come up all the time. I get emails or maybe phone calls saying there's a contract over here, there's a contract over there. Would you be interested? Because I know you've got experience in DC power and stuff like that, which I haven't done it for a few years. But yeah, you, you don't forget. It's like riding a bike when you've done something. But because of all the contacts that I've made through networking with these other electricians or in, in these industries, because not directly for these people because I don't think they actually employ electricians or contracts direct they sort of sub the contracts out like for 3G I've worked for 3G I've worked for BT I've worked for EE I've worked for Virgin Media I've worked for Sky but through a different company through a subcontracting company because as far as I know yeah, they don't employ people direct. They sort of sub the contract to maybe electrical companies that do, like this BT Openreach. They do like a, a big, massive worldwide, uh, nationwide contract for their switch, their DC power in their switch. But it's not just DC power, obviously, as well. It's network cable as well. There's lots of different industries that you can get into as an electrician. I think if you're prepared to lodge out and meet these different people. Don't just lodge out and say, yeah, I'm gonna lodge out and earn some money. Maybe think ahead a little bit, like networking maybe, get, get to know the clerk I works, get to know the contractor, know a little bit more about the job and how they got that job. And meet other trades as well. Cause a lot of the time when you're on site, they say, oh yeah, we're, 
we're finishing this job and we're nipping over to the other one in if I was in Manchester and I might go down into Bude and you think well hang about what's the money like in Bude for Sparkies and you could get on with that contract as well it's all about networking I tell you if you it's, sometimes it's more about who you know than what you know to be honest in a lot of industry industries because although you may be a qualified electrician it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna earn good money I think it really does come down in my experience of being an electrician of who you know, not necessarily what you know, who you know to get you in this contract, who you know to get the jobs. It's the same with domestics. It's who you know, this builder gonna recommend you because you're gonna be able to do this big, well, million pound house because the builder's doing it and you've got to know who that builder is to him to recommend you to be able to do the wiring in that house. It's definitely, because that's happened to me as well before. I've um, wired out, I think the house sold for 1.7 or 1.2. I'm not even sure, because I've done the wiring and you don't really get to see the end products too much. They were still doing the outside when it was up for sale. But I think I could find it on right move if it sold on there. But yeah, you work in these fantastic houses because of who you know. Not necessarily your knowledge of electric, yet yeah, that helps. Obviously, you've got to be a decent electrician to keep them happy, to get these contracts coming on. But a lot of the time, to get in, get your foot in the door, maybe, it is who you know. So build up your network, along with your knowledge, and jump inside of the Toolbox Talks for Electricians Facebook. You never know where it might lead you. So until next time, see you again.